Welcome back to Second and Short. It is Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. We've got a whole lot of stuff going on in sports. We got the bombshell dropped on us this morning of the PGA Live and DP World Tour merger. Um, college baseball super regionals are set. Um, obviously, the MLB season just continues. <laughs> it's just that long period of the summer. But all-star ballots have opened up, so go vote for a full Braves lineup. Um, I can't push that enough. And, yeah, obviously some NFL news, of course, as always. And then we are going to round it out with Stake Your Claim, which we haven't done in quite a while. So, Brock, you ready to get into this conversation about the PGA Tour? I'm so interested to this right now. Yeah, so it looks like... All of these commissions are going to come together and operate under the PGA. Um, but there might be a new name as well. Um, that was something that was mentioned in the letter that the commissioner sent out to all PGA players. Um, more kind of business side things. The PGA will change from a nonprofit to a for-profit organization. So I think some people are going to have problems with that. Yeah. Um, and then this part is kind of weird for how it's all going together. So the parties signed an agreement that combines the private investment fund, uh, obviously of Saudi Arabia, their golf-related commercial businesses and rights, which includes Live Golf, of course, with the commercial businesses and rights of the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour into a new collectively owned for-profit entity to ensure that all stakeholders benefit from a model that delivers maximum excitement and competition among the best in the game this just, it doesn't seem right. Uh, yeah. uh, after, like, the first observation of this, it doesn't seem like this is the right move. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it either. And I just don't know why this could just be my being an American. I just don't like a, another country owning the PGA. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's a big sports-washing conversation as well, which is something that people have obviously pointed out, especially about Live Golf. And, um, you know, as well, like the Qatari World Cup and everything like that that's happened, it's just another example of sports washing. And interestingly enough, uh, I believe uh, it might have been last year at one of the tournaments, uh, Jim Nance was talking to uh, Jay Monahan, who's the commissioner of the PGA, and brought up that um, a collective of people who had, I think, lost family members in 9-11 um, voiced their opposition to the Live Golf Tour and all this stuff. And Jay Monahan was totally for Like, he was like, yeah, we'll, we'll never, like, work with them, mm-hmm. anything like that. And then now we're here and they've all merged together. And now the governor of um, – I want to get his title right. The governor of Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund, uh, Yasir Al-Rumayan, uh, <laughs> will join the policy board of the PGA Tour – um, which that will continue to operate all the tournaments, and he will be the chairman of the new commercial group, uh, and Monaghan will remain the commissioner and CEO of the PGA Tour. So this whole move is just, it's so confusing to me, because it seems like the PGA was staunchly against this, and of course, you know, all of the legal stuff and everything that was going on, it seemed like the PGA was just going to continue fighting this, and then all of a sudden, they're all buddies. Yeah. I mean, that's just how business goes, I guess, though. Yeah, I guess. But it's um, 
it's a dirty business. Uh, I'll be honest. I think the PGA, um, obviously, they're already receiving quite the blowback, mm-hmm. but I think that there's going to be some significant issues. Yeah. With, yeah. you know, this weekend, not a huge tournament, but uh, the RBC Canadian Open in Toronto is this week, but the following week is the U.S. Open at the Los Angeles Country Club. I got a feeling there's probably going to be some protesters. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing for LA to do. Yeah, but you know, with it being the third major of the year mm-hmm. and the importance of the U.S. Open, as well as the fact that the players that are in the live can play in it, I think it's going to bring a lot of attention, and there's going to be quite a stir there. Yeah, uh, two weeks from now. Oh yeah. But um, let's see. So Jay Monahan called this kind of reinstatement of. PGA Tour members who had defected to the live a complicated endeavor and one that will be guided by established PGA Tour rules and regulations, which is bullshit because it's obvious that he's just going to be like, yep, you guys are all back in. Because yeah. he, he obviously misses, you know, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka because we saw like with Brooks Kepka winning um, the, the players, I think that's what, it, no, the, I don't even remember which tournament it was, that he won. People were like very much happy about it, and it brings a lot of attention. But then you remember, oh, well, he plays in this team-based mm-hmm. Saudi-funded league. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. This whole thing is just so weird. And now PGA fans uh, have taken to social media, and they are calling for the resignation of Jay Monahan as the PGA Tour commissioner, which I agree with. I, I think with how much he has come out and been staunchly against live tour and everything about it, the fact that now they're working together, it seems like he's kind of double crossing all of the fans and just the entire PGA. Yeah, uh, definitely. There obviously needs to be more to come out about it and see what's going on. Obviously there's a lot that we don't know. This has all just happened in the last 12 hours. So there's so much more to learn. However, at the degree, he is going against the will of many of the people, and I would imagine many of the people in the PGA as well. Yeah, and I think that's might fuck him over quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we also got a ton of player reactions, uh, PGA Tour golfers and live golfers, and they've been pretty good. Uh, Phil Mickelson, uh, in case you don't know, he's a known Saudi sympathizer. <laughs> also, like, one of the winningest golfers ever. But he said that today's an awesome day. Of course you would. You're getting paid, like, $70 million or whatever the fuck you're getting paid. And now you get to come back and be a part of the PGA. Uh, Brooks Kepka as well, uh, a live golfer, called for a welfare check on known PGA shit talker Brandel Chambly, who <laughs> has been just obviously against the live tour, but really attacking the players uh, in it and has said some pretty mean things about a lot of people, namely, um, oh, what, what the fuck's his name? He's a, uh, Patrick Reed, because he's an asshole. But <laughs> Brandel Chambly, still an asshole as well. Uh, Joel Damon, who is a PGA Tour golfer and kind of got much more known for his full episode on the Netflix documentary Full Swing. Um, He said, I've grown up being a fan of the four aces. Maybe one day I get to play for them on the PGA Tour. Um, (laughs) Just, of course, Joel Damon 
being funny. And then Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas, and many others uh, voiced that they found out the news of this merger from social media and not directly from the PGA, which is crazy. That's that's bad business right there. Yeah, you'd think, especially Colin Morikawa and Justin Thomas, who are kind of top guys in the PGA Tour, they should be in on these conversations because yeah. they, you know, this is a, a player's league. The, the PGA often has you know players-only meetings, and they have, uh, I believe, a union. And that means that they need to consider these things with the players, and obviously that's not been the case. Yeah. And then uh, Morikawa also commented on yesterday being considered the longest day in golf. Um, that's kind of its title because it is the last day of U.S. Open qualification. Uh, so they have 12 tournaments across the U.S. and Canada. And, and Brock, in case you didn't know, there's a qualifier at Hawks Ridge yeah. in Ballground, Georgia. That's cool. <laughs> but um, Morikawa kind of made a joke saying, and, you know, we thought yesterday was the longest day in golf. <laughs> Today is certainly going to be a long day in golf. And then, um, like I said earlier, I think this is going to cause quite a stir in Toronto and then Los Angeles next week. Yeah, there's – it could get way worse the more with the more information coming out or yeah. it could get a little better. Yeah, we'll have to see. You know, I've heard things about the, the team aspect being integrated uh, into the PGA Tour, which I personally am not a fan of. Um, I, I think what the PGA Tour already has going is the best version of golf, yeah. in my opinion. I've watched the Live Tour. It's not as entertaining. It's not, it doesn't seem like there's that much on the line. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's money, but you know, making the cut and things like that make it way more entertaining as a viewer, and I think it makes the players play much harder because yeah. if you don't make the cut, you don't get paid. Mm-hmm. And so really having to bust your ass to make the cut is makes you know Thursday and Friday golf so entertaining. Oh yeah, but yeah, I'm just I don't know. I I feel like the PGA has betrayed its fans and players. Yeah, that tends to happen with greedy corporations, man. That's true, but I don't know. I'm I'm excited to see this whole thing unfold. Yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued to see what all is going to happen with it. Yeah, because you know there is a good way. For this to go. Is that most likely going to be the case? Probably not. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to put my trust into the PGA just yet. Um, but, you know, it, it could go well. We have no idea. Yeah. I just don't think it will. <sighs> <laughs> well, <sighs> now that we're fired up, let's move on to <laughs> NFL news. And we'll start it off with something that I'm sure could get both of us fired up. Uh, Adam Sheehan, who's an NFL writer, released his nine bold predictions for 2023, and I, they're certainly bold. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say that. This so, first one is extremely yeah, bold. Yeah, we'll start at the top. <laughs> Sam Darnold beats the Jets in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Obviously, Sam Darnold, the notable third-string quarterback of the 49ers. Um, I don't know if he's saying that Sam Darnold's going to be the quarterback for the 49ers and beat the Jets, but... Like, yeah, 49ers could certainly make it to a Super Bowl. They could certainly win a Super Bowl. Is it going to be Sam Darnold's doing? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know exactly what he means. I'm assuming he means Sam Darnold will end up being the quarterback. But that's a that's a very lava take right there. Yeah, that one's that one's hot. And then the Sa- he says that the Saints will earn the NFC's number one seed. 
So right after saying that the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl, he thinks that the Saints, who have no defense this year, yeah. are going to earn the <laughs> NFC's number one seed just because they added Derek Carr. Yeah, that's uh, another big fat take. I mean, the thing, I mean, he, that means they have to win their division. Yep. Which. That's going to be hard enough. I think they're probably, most of the teams in that division are pretty much on the same level, kind of. Yeah, I'd say, I, I think with the offseason moves of the Falcons and Panthers, I'd probably put them ahead of the Saints just because the Saints lost so many defensive players. But. You know, offensive-wise, yeah, the Saints are in a very good spot. You know, obviously, Alvin Kamara is still there, but you pick up Derek Carr, you pick up Jamal Williams, Mm -hmm. you still have, you know, Michael Thomas, who maybe he'll be healthy, who knows. (laughs) And then, obviously, the emergence of Chris Olave last season, you have good players on that offense. I just question the defense, and that's Mm -hmm. why I favor Carolina and Atlanta over them. You said exactly what I was thinking, so I can't (laughs) say too much there. (laughs) But... You know, NFC-wide, I, I don't think they'll be better than the 49ers. No. I don't think they'll be better than the Eagles. No. That's definitely not going to be the case. The Cowboys could probably be better than them. Yeah, the Cowboys tend to be good during the regular season, but we yeah. know them in the playoffs. And, and even the Giants. I think, you know, the Giants, who aren't, you know, a loaded defensive team either, they have a pretty good defense, and I would personally take their offense over the Saints. Yeah. You know, obviously, Daniel Jones is kind of volatile, but... With the additions they've made with Darren Waller, but also keeping Saquon Barkley, who they're in a weird money situation right now, but for now he's on the team, and I think the Giants could even be better than the Saints. Yeah, uh, there are several teams that I think will end up being better than the Saints. That was a very hot take. Certainly. This one, not so hot. Uh, I I kind of agree with that. (laughs) Uh, He thinks that the Cardinals don't win a game. I, I can certainly see that happening, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's pretty hard nowadays yeah. to go zero and seventeen. Yeah, that's gonna be very hard to. But it w- if it were to happen, I'd be like, okay, yeah. that's on this list one of the most reasonable ones. Certainly, because you know the the problem with saying a team's not gonna win a game is that they're gonna run into somebody who really wants to lose more than that. <laughs> Yeah, the Bears <laughs> and the Houston. Well, no, I think the Bears will be fine. But oh, so like last Houston, season. Yeah, Bears yeah, like Houston, last year, yes. But, yeah, I, I think that there will probably be some teams that want to lose a little bit more because, you know, they want that quarterback. Yeah. That, you know, they got to lose to get that draft pick to get him. Like, something like that could certainly happen. Mm-hmm. And then the Cardinals would possibly win that game. There's really no telling. Yeah. Um, I This one's a little bit hotter than the Cardinals one but not too out there. Yeah. Uh, he thinks that the Packers will post the second worst record. Mm, that, that could happen. Like, yeah, yeah, I could see it, but I think they're they're usually a solid enough team Yeah, to be kind of in the mix. Yeah, and I think, you know, just because they lost Aaron Rodgers, they have a guy who's been there for a couple of years now with Jordan Love. They have their two running backs still with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. You know, you still have... <laughs> Christian Watson and um, you know a few other of these young pieces that they have on that offense, and then you still have a, a pretty good defense as well. So I don't think they'll end up being the second worst, but it definitely could happen. Yeah. And then this one, it's not too hot. I just don't see it happening. Uh, is Josh Allen winning MVP? Mm-hmm. Just. You know, to me, I don't see it happening only because of what we saw last year. You know, yeah. I don't know what's going to change, 
You have to improve a significant amount for me to believe yeah. he'd be the MVP. And outside of just his improvement, because obviously he played really well, is just the offense and, and the scheme that the offense runs. I yeah. think it just wasn't a sustainable offense to run. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they can work on that and work on the play calling, then, you know, I, I could certainly see him winning MVP. He has the skill set. He showed it yeah. time and time again. But, you know, can he beat out guys that are in systems that just simply work better, like Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. and even Jalen Hurts, who, yes, they both lost their offensive coordinators, uh, but I'm not too worried. Yeah. Um, let's see. Miles Garrett to win Defensive Player of the Year. That one's probably the best take of yeah, all of them. Definitely. He's I, just a guy that's going to be there. Oh, yeah. He, <laughs> we know he's a great player. It could very much happen. Yeah. And then this one, I, I think, is just kind of like it's it's like a I'm glad I called it type prediction. Yeah. That Justin Jefferson will make NFL history as the first 2,000 yard receiver. It, it's another thing. Like, yeah, it could happen. Mm-hmm. Will it? Probably not. <laughs> That's a really hard milestone to hit. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, I think that one's just like, uh, I'm going to just say this, and if it happens, I'm going to look real good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I definitely want your opinion on this one because he says that rookie Jameer Gibbs will lead all running backs in touchdowns. Ah, uh, that's – that's a bit of a take. Yeah. I don't I don't know. They Oh, I don't really know the all, Lions offense well enough to know how they're going to utilize him. So the thing is is they got rid of DeAndre Swift. They lost Jamal Williams, which were their two running backs last year. So now Jameer Gibbs is there and can certainly, you know, do his job well. Um, yeah. I just I don't know. I I, I think that that's just a bit far-fetched from what we saw at Alabama for Jameer Gibbs. It didn't seem like he's the kind of guy that, yeah, just like now we're in the red zone, now let's give him the ball. Like, yeah. He's the guy that creates yardage early. If they, I think they're probably going to use, kind of like what Alabama did, use him a little more in the passing game. He's more of a passing running back. You push him out in the flats, dump it off to him. He'll get you those those yeah. good a couple yards. He's quick, he's shifty. But like you said, I have to agree, he's not one that you're going to, in the red zone, say run up the A-gap. And that's something, another thing Alabama tried to do that he just was not built for. And they try to run him with the A-gap every time. He's just not that type of running back. Yeah, I definitely agree with that one. And then his final thing, uh, Bill Belichick's final season, which I don't think we know if it is or not. I doubt that it is. Um, he says that New England will miss the playoffs. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens at all. They yeah. literally just missed the playoffs last year. I wouldn't be surprised they missed the playoffs, but I do not believe it will be Belichick's last year. I yeah. think he's going to at least try to make one more run before he decides to retire. Exactly. Um, let's get into another controversial list. Yeah. <laughs> C.J. Stroud ranked his top five quarterbacks in the NFL, and they go in this order from one to five. Jalen Hurts... Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, and number five, Justin Fields. Yeah, that was just because he's his buddy. Yeah. I, um, I, yeah. One through four makes sense. No matter who you are, those are going to be your top four, I believe. Yeah, and like, yeah, you could, you could switch people around. You know, personally, I'm putting Patrick Mahomes at one. Yeah, I think by what we've seen, as much as I don't want to say it because I just don't like being his fan. I don't know why he's a good person, but I just don't <laughs> like him. I think it's just because he's so good. He he's gonna be one, yeah. and then I mean me personally, I'd put Joe Burrow too, then Jalen Hurts, yeah. then Josh Allen. That would be my list. I think that's how I ranked them last year. So, yeah, uh, that that makes sense to me. But 
Justin Fields at five, yes, it's probably because they have that Ohio State connection, but as well as that, Justin Fields has emerged as uh, an explosive quarterback. Yeah. But when I'm thinking of quarterback, like if I'm talking athletes, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll put Justin Fields up there. But if I'm talking quarterbacks, you know, it's weird to see um, Justin Herbert not here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously Aaron Rodgers had a down year, but he's a guy you can see up there. Yeah. Um, like tons and tons of quarterbacks across the league had very good years last year and arguably better than Justin Fields, especially when you look at team success. Yeah. But, you know, I understand saying that he's a top five quarterback because I would say that in terms of athleticism and playmaking ability. This is, but however, this question is who's the best top five quarterbacks in the yeah. NFL currently? This is from what we've seen, what they've done. I mean, there have been plenty of quarterbacks who are extremely athletic and very, or in a pretty good quarterbacks, but they just can't get the job done. So yeah. at the end of the day, they're not, they, you can't really rank them as the top quarterbacks. Again, as an athlete, different, but as a quarterback, asking who's the best quarterback, I don't, I don't like him there. Yeah, and I think that the fact that you put Justin Fields here at five means that you're putting him over Lamar Jackson, who mm-hmm. does what he does better. Way better. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the top four, but Justin Fields is an interesting pick, especially considering Lamar Jackson is just the better version. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know why this always happens, but whenever me and you come together, we have to talk about the NFL's gambling policy. Yeah, you'd think that we have a gambling <laughs> issue. Neither one of us gamble. Exactly. <laughs> but um, it looks like some NFL agents have said that they heard from players confessing that they violated the gambling policy. Uh, one agent said, I have a player who said, I bet from the facility $3 to $5 bets on other sports. What do I do? The agent told him, don't volunteer anything, <laughs> but if somebody asks you, be honest, they likely have evidence. And then... Another, uh, a few other players were asked about this, and they said that it could have been any one of us. And this kind of all goes back to what we talked about: how Jameson Williams said that he wasn't well informed. Mm-hmm. It's not just the rookies. Yeah, nobody is well informed. Is what it seems like now, because there's tons of players coming out saying we weren't aware of these rules. You know, we didn't know the exact stipulations. Like, I think somebody came out and said, like. I have bet from from the facility many times. Like I had no idea this rule existed. Yeah, this is just proves another failure on the NFL and another failure on the teams. Yeah, you have to infer, inform your players on the rules. Yeah, certainly. And you know, I don't want to sound like a broken record, like we often <laughs> do when we talk about this gambling, you know, rules every week now. <laughs> but w- when you fuck over the players, you fuck yourself over. Exactly. And that's what the NFL is doing right now with all of this stuff because now, you know, they're going further into these investigations. So the thing is, is, you know, at what point are you going to realize, oh, shit, we're the ones that made the mistake? But they're, they're not going to because why would he admit fault? You know, well, the problem is, is when you have to go to every single team and be like, okay, well, these six guys all gambled mm-hmm. and every single team just has players suspended Makes the NFL look much worse. I think they started doing this to try and make a point, like, "Hey, yeah. if you gamble, do this." And then they, as they were keep kept messing, like, "Oh wow, we suck. We haven't done our <laughs> jobs," you know? Yeah, that that could definitely be the case. Uh, well, let's move on to this conversation because yeah. it's interesting. Uh, the Bucks' offensive coordinator Dave Canales adds 
respect as a factor in the Baker Mayfield versus Kyle Trask competition. He says that it's showing respect to dra- uh, Trask's draft status and giving Mayfield a chance to earn respect from the locker room. I, okay, I respect the fact that they're actually battling it out for this starting job. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Respect is a big part of it for Kyle Trask. I don't think Baker Mayfield has been disrespected by this. Yeah. He hasn't earned it. I agree. <laughs> Whereas, obviously, they have are showing respect to Kyle Trask and who he is and what kind of player he's been for them and giving him a shot at Because, mm-hmm. obviously, he didn't have a shot with Brady there. <laughs> no. But now, with Baker there, if Kyle Trask is better, I, I certainly think they'll just sit Baker. Yeah. And, I mean... Baker's obviously shown what he can do. He's let he led the Browns for several years, then Carolina, then was all over. Had a great game when he well, got traded over to LA. Yeah. So we know what he can do. However, he's not an amazing. He's a good quarterback, but he's not like oh my gosh, I need to start him immediately. So why not give Kyle Trask competition or give the competition between two who yeah. see who actually see who's better. Yeah, and you know now that we've gone through, I, I think OTAs started over a month ago now, that this battle's still ongoing, mm-hmm. right? and I have a feeling it's gonna be there. I think it's gonna go through the preseason with this battle. Yeah, and you know whoever it is that they start week one, I think they're gonna give themselves ample time to figure out who actually should be the starter. Yeah, and I I agree. I think they're all they're especially between two quarterbacks who are equal. A lot of people, you know, get veterans. They think they're immediately better. No, you got to give them the competition to actually see who's going to be better. Yeah, and I don't think this is like a Ben Roethlisberger Mason Rudolph competition. No, where because <laughs> that video is fucking hilarious, where they're just like throwing shit at Ben Roethlisberger and he's just standing there taking it and he just throws the ball. Like obviously he's going to win that quarterback competition. Yeah, this is Baker Mayfield, notorious nut grabber, uh, <laughs> versus Kyle Trask, uh, one season wonder. Yeah, that's <sighs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, I don't know. I, I who do you think is going to come out on top of this? It wouldn't surprise me if Baker Mayfield does because he does have the experience. He's proven himself in the NFL. He's a good quarterback. But at the same time, he does. There are sometimes he does not play good, and so if Kyle Trask can be more consistent. Yep. I think he can win. Yeah, uh, I. Personally, I would like to see Kyle Trask win this. I would like to see him get a couple games and see how he actually plays. Yeah. Like, I hate to root for a Florida Gator, Mm -hmm. but when it's against Baker Mayfield, I don't really (laughs) have a problem with it. Yeah. And then let's talk about this. Packers wide receiver Romeo Dubs uh, believes that Jordan Love can do, in quotes, the same exact thing as Aaron Rodgers. He said, I don't really see what's the big difference. That's that's a take right there. (laughs) Holy crap. So I'm, I'm hoping... This is a glowing review of Jordan Love yeah. and not a nasty review of Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe he just got the tail end of Rodgers where he was doing all of his yeah. drug trips and he was being weird. Could be. So he didn't really know what a great Rodgers is, but that's that's a take. It sure is. And, I, you know, we haven't seen much from Jordan Love, so I can't, you know, I'm not yeah. at OTAs. I'm not seeing what Romeo Dubs is seeing, but he obviously is a fan of Jordan Love. Well, OTAs are completely different than NFL games. That is a very <laughs> fair assessment. <laughs> yeah. And then um, Chiefs, um, I believe he's the offensive coordinator now, Matt Nagy, um, is excited for Kadarius Tony to build rapport with Patrick Mahomes. 
He said, we'll all see what he can do. And I'm hearing whisperings that they want Kadarius Toney to be their number one wide receiver. Are they, so they're trying to use him and basically replace Tyreek Hill? I, I guess. He's quick, shifty, like yeah. Tyreek was. And I, I definitely understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw good things from Kadarius Toney last year. And obviously, like, the huge punt return in the Super Bowl, like, game-changing punt return in the Super Bowl. And I I think he scored a touchdown as well. But I don't know if he's quite there yet. You know, we didn't really see him do anything with the Giants. He gets traded to the Chiefs last year and did make an impact. But was it a number one wide receiver impact? Yeah, I agree. I don't really know if he's a one wide receiver, per se. But I think he is going to be pretty good. Yeah, and... People are kind of using that in the conversation with DeAndre Hopkins, saying that the Chiefs don't want him. He's already going to be a money issue if they do get him. Mm-hmm. And when you have guys like Kadarius Tony and Marquez Valdez-Scantling on the team, maybe you don't need him. Yeah, that's true. Um, this one is just some fun super fan news. Um, more than two months after removing his GPS device and skipping bail, Chiefs Aholic remains on the loose. Uh, now on the Greater Kansas City Crime Stoppers most wanted list. <laughs> that is so funny to me. Do you know who Chiefs Aholic is? Yes. Okay. Because in case you don't know, he's like a wolf in a Chiefs uniform. And he goes to every game, but he is a notorious bank robber. Yeah. Um <laughs> This is insane. The Chiefs Aholic <laughs> is on the most wanted list in Kansas City. Yeah, until <laughs> they they catch him at the first game. No, dude, he's going to be in fucking Mexico. If I was him, I would already be in Mexico. I'd be in Morocco. They don't extradite there. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't I don't know if he has the facilities to get to Morocco. <laughs> but, well, if he, if he robbed another bank, yeah. maybe. <laughs> be like, all these like little banks being robbed all the way down to the border. Yeah. It's like, um, oh, what what's that bank robbing movie? There are several. Uh, Point Break. No, it's like um, it's like the Western type one. Uh, I don't know. There are so many. Fuck. It, um, I need more than just the I know. Type I know one. the name, <laughs> and I can't think of it. It's it's like um, all right, I'm literally gonna pause and look this up because I'm dying to know. Okay, after this brief pause, it's Hell or High Water that I was thinking. <laughs> That's the the movie. So if he was doing like a Hell or High Water one where they just keep hitting the banks as they go. Maybe Chiefs of Holics in Morocco. Maybe. <laughs> Robbed a couple little islands in the Caribbean yeah. on his way out. <laughs> Hanging out riding elephants. <laughs> Maybe he'll take over Italy, you know. That would be interesting. Taking over Italy with elephants. He wouldn't be the first. <laughs> That's the that was reference there. Do any of you history people? <laughs> Alright, let's talk about some deals that almost happened. First being the Eagles reportedly (coughs) had a deal basically done to acquire Russell Wilson from the Seahawks before last season. However, Russell Wilson is the one that denied the trade. Wow. So that is crazy. Yeah. He could have been on the (laughs) Eagles and we could have just never seen the season we saw from Jalen Hurts. Yeah. That is really crazy. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm glad this one didn't happen. I am too. You know, Russell's probably mad looking back on it now. Yeah. Shoot. Uh, yeah, this is just mind-blowing that he was almost an eagle because I can't even imagine him in that offense. No. Now that I've seen Jalen Hurts and how well he does in it. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is just absolutely crazy. But then 
another one that almost happened this offseason, the Vikings and Dolphins almost completed a trade in March that would have sent Dalvin Cook to Miami. But instead, Miami added to their backfield, uh, getting Devin A. Chain out of Texas A&M in the third round. It still looks like Dalvin's getting cut is now what it's looking like. And wow. I just, which is insane. Like, does he want too much money or something? I don't like, think so. I think that the Vikings aren't happy with how much they're already paying him. Wow. Which is insane, but... Someone's going to end up with him, though. Yeah. He's too good of a running he back. He's way too good of a running back just to sit there. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, there. you know, any team could use an upgraded running back. Oh, yeah. Just about. So, I think Dalvin Cook will certainly find somewhere to land mm-hmm. if he does get cut, but... In the meantime, it's obvious that the Vikings are pushing him away. Yeah. And then just some news that I knew you would enjoy. Woo! <laughs> Quarterback Jordan Te'amu is working out for the Vikings today. Still only 25 years old, which, which is, is crazy. so weird to think that he played for Ole Miss four years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> and um, he actually earned XFL Offensive Player of the Year honors uh, for the defenders this season. Mm-hmm. Congrats. I mean, every <laughs> league he has been in, he has destroyed and dominated that league. I mean, he has, when he was in the AAF, he dominated, beat, led all the quarterbacks by like 1,000 yards, like yeah. beat all of them out. Doing again again in the XFL, I mean, he is a good quarterback. I am surprised he hasn't gotten a shot at any team. Yeah, I, I'm, I am as well. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of crazy mm-hmm. that uh, he hasn't really gotten his NFL chance. I think he's been with teams, you know, throughout yeah, he's this whole been... process. But you know, the Vikings. I don't. He's not going to play over Kirk. Like nothing no. crazy. But maybe we see him if you know Kirk goes down with an injury, or maybe they're blowing somebody out. But yeah, I, I think that you know it's a good pickup, and I'm happy for Jordan Tayama because he was so good in college. He was. I mean, he was. Uh, you know. The Ole Miss throwing Samoan. He also has one of the best uh, ESPN commercials where all the linemen followed him around yep. all day. That one is very good. <laughs> um, well, since we're talking about college football, let's go ahead and just move on to college football. And we're going to start with this interesting thing that I saw from Jason Belzer. So he um, was at the NIL Summit that happened the other day and um, released uh, a couple of charts um, from, I believe it's called like, I can't remember what the company is, but, um, just some different revenue things. So this one, uh, 2023, 2024 college football NIL compensation averages. So in the top 50% of power five, the starters are making an, an average of 45,000. Wow. Just in, uh, you know, this past or in this coming, uh, years, uh, Sorry, in this coming year, and then the second string guys twenty five thousand, which is crazy. And yeah. we're talking the top fifty percent of Power Five, so that's over thirty schools. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then uh, a bench player making fifteen thousand. Wow. But then you go to the bottom fifty percent of the Power Five, and your starters are making fifteen thousand, which is the same as a bench player in that top 50%, and then your power five, you know, two deep, 7,500, your bench, 
making somewhere around 2,500. And then group of five schools, you're looking at 5,000 for starters, 250 for the rotation, or 2,500 for the rotational guys, and 1,000 for the bench. So obviously a huge drop off from the top 50% in Power Five, but that makes a, yeah. that makes total sense. I think that's all, this is also why you see so many guys that are really good at the group of five lower levels wanting to hit the portal and go up because that going from making five grand just like you know throwing some cash you to forty five thousand or yeah. more is insane. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And then uh, when we're talking transfer portal uh, compensation averages, it looks like top ten guys in the transfer portal um, are making I believe. Trying to figure out what this chart even is, to be honest. quite confused. All right, well, we're going to move on from that one because I don't even understand what it's measuring. But let's look at basketball as well just while wow. we're here. Um, Power 5 and the Big East. And this isn't just like top 50%. This is Power 5 schools and Big East. The average player is making 75 or – oh, wait, is that the – Top ath- 3, top oh. 6, top 9. It's the athletes. Okay, so – the top three athletes on your roster making seventy-five thousand on average. The top six fifty thousand, and top nine fifteen thousand. That's Power Five and Big East. And then you go to Group of Five, and then the A10 uh, and the WCC, which is like Gonzaga and those yeah. ones. <clears throat> They're making thirty-five thousand for top three, um, fifteen thousand for top six, and top nine five thousand. And then you look at mid-major. You get 15,000 as a top three, top six, 5,000, and top nine, 1,500. This is crazy. I, I really didn't think that when it came to basketball that your kind of lower division, or not lower division, but lower tiered teams are going to be making this much money from this, like 35,000 as a top three player on you know a, a team in the A-10 or the WCC is very surprising. Well, I think that's because basketball just has so many less people than football does. Because I was saying the same thing in my head. I was like, wow, I can't believe football is not making more. When you put on a football roster, has 75 guys on it. Yeah. Basketball has like 15 to 20. Yeah. So, yeah, that one makes sense. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that, you know, it, it's interesting totals there because. Yeah, I was under the impression that the college football guys are making the most, but mm-hmm. I think it's just the headlining guys yeah. that are really making the most. And then you got to consider, like you said, the other you know seventy guys on that team yeah. that probably aren't going to make seventy five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, but I I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I, I see no problem with that because it's just you know how name, image, and likeliness works. Yeah, even at the professional levels, when you're talking about brand sponsorships. You're not going to see some bench guy for an NFL team on a Subway commercial. Exactly. <laughs> You're going to see <laughs> Russell Wilson in the Danger Witch. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I just think that, you know, college football, I think at, at the moment the players are doing it right. Yeah. And we've had these conversations over and over again, so I don't really want to go back into it, but it's obviously that the, the schools and the NCAA themselves are doing it wrong. Yeah. Um. Nick Saban had some things to say about NIL. Um, He said that he would like NIL if it made it easier for him to recruit. He said it doesn't, so he hates it. And he keeps fighting against it to the point of even suggesting letting players become employees and unionizing. So he would rather (laughs) these players become employees of their college and unionize 
than have to deal with NIL. <laughs> <laughs> it would make it make his life easier. It definitely would. It, yes, it definitely would. Um, and I, I understand his concern mm-hmm. because NIL certainly has made recruiting a, a much harder thing. Especially, yeah. You know, you're in fucking Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You're not yeah. drawing a big market. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> really anywhere in Alabama is not drawing a big NIL market. No. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously players are going to want to go to you know the USC's. Like mm-hmm. I think that NIL has certainly contributed to this reemergence of USC. Because, yeah, of course, you know, Lincoln Riley coming over and bringing all of the good players from Oklahoma. Yeah. But I think on top of it, NIL in Los Angeles. Like, mm-hmm. that's huge. Yeah. And also, you got to think, like, when you think about making it, a lot of things, it is going to L.A., making it big in L.A. Yeah. So there's, like, also a story behind it. Like, oh, you know. Yeah, like, if there was a big college football team in New York City, yeah. that's where people would be going as well. Yeah, uh, maybe Rutgers is gonna <laughs> is gonna make some money off of it because they're close to New York City. But you know, you know, teams like like even Georgia gets the help of Atlanta mm-hmm. not being that far away. Yeah, um, to help them, and you know, the Florida schools all have very good opportunities there. Yeah. Obviously, Texas has huge opportunities for huge. NIL, and you know, on top of how much money that you already get under the table from Texas, yeah, <laughs> they can offer you so much more with NIL. And I don't know, it, it definitely. Makes recruiting harder. I sympathize with Nick Saban on that. I, I and I'm sure now, if anybody's ever seen the movie Johnny Be Good, where he walks in and goes, "All right, coach, he's the number one football prospect in the country. How much money are you gonna give me?" And the coach goes, "That's not what we do here." And he goes, "Everywhere else, I've been offering millions of dollars. What are you gonna do for me?" He's good. Well, I'm not gonna do that. And that's probably what it is now. Every player that walks in, every big-time recruit walks in, all right, how much money will the University of Alabama be able to generate for me to let me come here? Put me on Fansville. You've got a deal. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'll go down. I'll go on Fansville right now. Honestly, I should be there. Yo, Dr. Pepper, get us the spot. We'll be extras. (laughs) Yeah. As long as you you guys can get the 30-second or one-minute slot pre-roll ad on the podcast (laughs) if you make us extras on Fansville. And I mean, I'm a Coke guy personally. Coca Cola all the way. For yeah, the way but I enjoy a good Dr Pepper. No one can hate on Dr. It's like Coke, Dr Pepper, and then like twenty five thousand products. Yeah. Everything, <laughs> then Pepsi products at the very bottom. Yeah, like I'm, I'm taking a Lacroix over Pepsi products. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's talk about this, and not going to go in depth on the nine game schedule because we did that last week. But yeah. we do now know the teams that supported a nine game schedule. Being Florida, Georgia, LSU, Missouri, and Texas A and M, and then as well Oklahoma and Texas, they wanted the nine games, but they didn't have a vote. Mm-hmm. I think that it it makes sense that these are the schools that wanted it, yeah. Because obviously Georgia and Florida want to play West teams more because it makes them look better, mm-hmm. and adding that extra conference game allows you to get that extra game out of you know your division, but. For AM, I, I don't really understand why they'd support yeah. it. And the same for Missouri. Yeah, I don't I really don't know why Missouri wants to add it. Probably because Georgia and Florida were like, say you want this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go easy on you, man. <laughs> um Well, I know for teams like Ole Miss, what Ole Miss is doing, they do the eight game schedule, they do a ninth game out of power five, out of conference, and then they do their ten, uh, tenth game, which is a group of five school. So then they have two cupcakes, to be fair, but Winning in the SEC West, the hardest conference in football by a significant margin, 
then it's the SEC East by after that large yeah. margin, then it's the SEC East a fair margin, then the Big Ten, then everybody else. I understand why you don't want a nine-game schedule. It's going to make your life so much harder. You don't get to heal as quickly. You don't get much rest. So, and like I was saying with Ole Miss, they're already playing two more pretty decent teams. Why would you want to make it 11 hard teams, only one easy game all year? Yeah, and that's exactly what I was thinking as well. And I think for Oklahoma and Texas, they probably wanted the nine because it'll make it most similar to the Big 12 schedule they're already playing. But mm-hmm. also, they want to play the SEC East. Like, they want those marquee yeah. matchups as soon as they come in because they want to kind of win over some SEC fans. Yeah. Um, but then the the weird case here, which, you know, I, I'm not really either way with this one, is LSU. Um, you know, they support the nine-game schedule, but I, I don't fully understand why. It's only them and A&M in the West that support it. A&M kind of makes sense, mm-hmm. kind of doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> but LSU is a weird case because, you know, of course they're going to play a few teams from the East. Like, they want to play a few teams, but they're going to play Tennessee. Yeah. Like, that's probably the one they'll put on the schedule every year. Mm-hmm. And so... But then that means you can't schedule Georgia. Yeah. Once once Texas and Oklahoma are in, you get one team in the mm-hmm. other division if you only have eight games. And I think that's why LSU is looking for it. Because they you know, you want to play Florida and you want to play Tennessee in the same year, but once Oklahoma and Texas are in, then you don't get to. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so I think that and they've already said that there's going to be an eight-game schedule when Oklahoma and Texas come in next year. Mm-hmm. But I think that they'll notice after that first year that they're probably going to regret not having two out-of-division matchups because yeah. teams like, you know, um, especially if Auburn gets bumped into the East, if Alabama, you either get to play – your rivalry game is Auburn. Yeah. But also Tennessee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those – Two matchups need to happen every year. Yeah. And they're really going to hate it when in 2024, Alabama doesn't play Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, I am i don't really care. I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I don't. I, obviously, I'd love to see more conference games. Of course. But what I care about more is that the SEC only has two teams in 2023 playing at least 10 Power 5 opponents. That's the problem with this. Yeah. If you're not going to do nine games, you got to schedule more Power 5s. I agree. That was that was also the thing I, w- I was thinking about is exactly what you said. If you're, you got to schedule more teams on there. I know, the uh, I said, the SEC is the hardest conference by a significant margin. However, everyone's still going to whine and complain no matter what. Even if every year the SEC wins a hundred to zero in the championship against yep. the next best person from another conference. They're still going to whine and complain saying, Oh, they had an easy year all year. We had it so rough. We play just do it. Yeah. And then if the, I think that'd only be fair that the sec has starts playing a nine do not, let's just say they go to nine and then they add yet to play another power five game. And then you, your other two have to be one's a group of five and one can be an FCS. Yeah. the sec does something like that. You would have to include the SEC more, and the playoff would literally be a twelve-team playoff for the SEC. Yeah, but like, like the thing is, is you know regarding this list of teams playing at least ten Power Five opponents this year, the SEC, yeah, they're playing two of fourteen. The problem with that is that there's not another conference under ten. Yeah, 
the ACC has 10 of their 15 teams playing at least 10 Power 5 opponents. The Pac-12, 10 of their 12. The Big 12, 11 of their 14. And the Big 10, 13 of their 14 are playing 10 Power 5 opponents this year. Which Big 10 team do you think is it? I don't remember. It's, I don't I don't know. I haven't looked through all of their schedules. I'd assume it's a team probably like Rutgers or Maryland. Yeah. But also, I mean, it just kind of goes back to when you don't have that competition in your conference, you got to play other big-time teams. So it's kind of an unfair compare because when everybody in the SEC is ranked in the top every year ranked in the top 30 recruiting class, top 40. Yeah. And then in the Big Ten, only seven other 14 teams are ranked in the top 40. Mm-hmm. How is that fair? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's not fair whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's a matter of the SEC does what they want. Yeah. And, you know, they're going to continue because it's their choice. And <laughs> Brock almost just dropped his phone ground, so I'm laughing, but he caught it. Um, I, I think that the team – okay, the conference here that obviously when you look at it, they're doing it right as the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. 13 of their 14 teams are. That's probably how it should be. But, you know, yes, in an ideal world, every single team plays 10 Power 5 opponents. Yeah, that is true. That's not going to happen. Every year, mm-hmm. but I think that it should. Yeah, and I think the fact that the SEC has eight conference games and they only have two teams playing ten power te- or power five schools, yeah, is concerning. Because if they just continue to do this, they're going to continue to have you know these two teams go undefeated every year. Yeah, that is that is true. But, I mean, that's also in the money. That's how you can guarantee you're going to have the top players. Or exactly. you're going to have the top people. That's, I mean, it's, oh my goodness, not to speak. The top teams. Yeah. Um, let's talk about this, though. Kirk Herbstreet said that he put Alabama and LSU just a little bit ahead of Georgia as we're entering into the summer months. I like it. Yeah, I do, too. I fully <laughs> agree with everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that Alabama and LSU... When you look at you know what they brought back, mm-hmm. what they already like, you know what they already had, and you know even the transfer portal more in LSU's case than Alabama's, they've done the best job. Yeah. Uh, when you're looking at it on paper, because of course LSU has their quarterback returning, mm-hmm. but Alabama just has so many great pieces yeah. that we got to see last year. Whereas Georgia, once again, huge NFL draft class, and now you know it's just load the next guys yeah. in. And I think this year with Georgia, like you said, huge another huge NFL draft class. Everybody from the past two national championship teams are gone, with the exception of a, a handful. Yeah. Their biggest leaders are all gone. The people who carried the team to those championships are gone. Bennett's gone. The two linemen, Carter and Davis, are gone. Yeah. N'Kobe Dean's gone. Um, oh, Nolan was, Smith's yeah, gone. Jordan Davis. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said. All um, their big leaders are gone. LSU's are returning all of their leaders. Alabama is losing their two biggest leaders, but they had so many young guys get playing time last year. They're going to be able to the those guys that those young guys that got the playing time are going to be the ones are the new leaders that are going yeah. to be looked up to. So I see where Herb Street's coming from with this, and I agree with it. Yeah, I do as well. Uh, you know, obviously, a, a big part of this I think is Carson Beck coming in mm-hmm. and losing Stetson Bennett and losing. You know some key pieces on the defense, but 
I think that, yeah, George is going to end up just up there with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. when, probably after the first couple weeks of the season, everybody's going to be like, okay, these are the three teams. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for now, I'm fine with people ranking George behind just because we haven't seen these guys on the field. Yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I like that take. And then um, just some bowl game news. Uh, the Cheez-It Bowl has, uh, is no longer the Cheez-It Bowl. It is now the Pop-Tarts Bowl. I like that. I, I love. I wish that Florida <laughs> State played in the Pop Tarts Bowl last Dude, year. Yeah, that'd have been so fun. <laughs> well, because now there's one Cheez It Bowl. Is it Cheez It Orange? Cheez It Orange Bowl. Now the Pop Tarts Bowl. All right, I like the Pop Tarts Bowl. That's a bowl yeah. game I'd want to go to. Yeah, dude. I, yeah. They they have to be selling Pop Tarts. Oh, have to. And I think that the best thing they could do for the Pop Tarts Bowl is release limited edition ones with each team yeah. on the frosting. I was saying the exact same thing. Yeah. So when we, uh, what I guess is the Cheez-It Bowl always like an ACC Big 12? I think. Okay. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, so last year would have been Oklahoma and Florida State. Mm-hmm. I would have 100% bought those <laughs> Florida State Pop-Tarts. Oh, yeah. And they would be sitting behind me as we spoke. <laughs> but for now, I, I think that... You know, there's some some good possibilities with the the Pop Tarts Bowl. I think there's a lot of things we could see. Yeah, I like it. Who who do you think is going to be in the Pop Tarts Bowl next year? So last last year we had what, a, a nine and three team and a six and, a and six, six and six. But you know, maybe so. Let's say like a a, a like second tier Big Twelve and a second tier you know maybe top tier ACC. Who do you think is going to be there? NC State from yep. the ACC. I was about to say that. And <laughs> I'm trying to think. TCU. Oh, okay. You they're not going to go game. big time. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think they're going to be able to be mediocre okay. this year. I'm thinking and just because of their run last year, they'll get the, a bigger bowl yeah. game because of it. I'm thinking Baylor and mm. NC State. All right. So I, if that happens, you guys need to tell us because we're going to forget <laughs> that that was what we called. Yes. But um, while we're talking about the Big 12, it looks like they're going to be making some major brand changes this offseason. Big 14 or Big 16. <laughs> yeah, it, it might as well become that. But um, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to change the name, logo. Mm. The logo is kind of boring. It is boring. It's literally just 16 or uh, 12 in Roman numerals. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Maybe we get like a whole new name, like the, the Texas and a couple other states conference. Yeah. It's really st- – it makes me so <laughs> mad if they're going to go up to 14 or 16 teams, whatever, and they're going to be – if they're still called the Big 12. Yeah. I well, will, it's not like the Big 10 has 10 teams. They have 14. I know, and it makes me mad. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> Figure it out. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Like, what like, – because it's not one region anymore. Because no. now they have UCF and BYU and Cincinnati. It kind of throws off the idea of it being like the, you know, the Mid, West. Yeah, or Mid-American or whatever. Yeah, yeah so, that's a good one. I don't know. The and Wild West Conference. Yeah. No more. Obviously, the American Athletic Conference is already taken. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know what it could be called, but um, I will say this. I think this is an interesting idea here from the Big 12 commissioner, uh, Brett Yormark, who for some reason we just keep having to talk about, <laughs> um, says that he's planning for Mexico games to be announced next week. That is so strange for sending college football to Mexico. Yeah. I'm not so, opposed to it. Don't get me wrong. However, I think it's weird for it to be college. Just, yeah. I think it's really cool, really cool opportunity for the players, all of that. But still, like, that's just uh, – expand. like, does the college football market need to be expanded like that? 
I don't know. And, and, you know, we've seen, obviously, like, the Ireland season openers, yeah. things like that. But I, I don't know what the market is for college football in Mexico. Obviously, mm-hmm. we've seen some success with the NFL. Yeah. And even the MLB uh, playing games down there. But, you know, how big of, like, uh, a market is there for yeah e- even Oklahoma versus Texas in Mexico? Yeah, and I... You would have to play a Texas team in Mexico, right? You would yeah, have to. yeah. It would have to be like Texas. And, I think Houston would yeah, be a good one. Like Texas and Houston down there would have to play. Like yeah. you would think. And I guess they're, Texas is a giant brand. But they're also about to leave the Big 12. Well, that's also true. But like having college football, there are very big brands and they're branded all around the world. And so a lot of people buy stuff not realizing. Yeah. I've, uh, oh, I saw a tweet the other day. It was. He was wearing a hat of some school, and some guy was like, oh, yeah, go whatever in there. He was like, oh, I don't even know what that is. I just thought it was cool. Yeah. And so, like, a lot of people buy it because of the branding school, so maybe that's why. But I think it's just weird. I don't. I just didn't think college football had that big of a market there. Again, yeah. to go back to what we were saying, that the NFL would. Yeah, I, I'm, I definitely agree because, you know, college athletics isn't – a big thing no, in any in a, other country. Just an American thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just don't think that that fits the idea of an international expansion. Yeah. But, you know, maybe it, maybe it does really well. The The thing that I think would work the best, um, because I, I don't think it should be a, a conference game played in Mexico, because then nobody gets to be the home team. I agree. So I think that if the Big 12 and Pac-12 work together, mm-hmm. and maybe we see, like... Um, like Houston versus UCLA, or yeah. like something like that, or even like a kickoff, or even a bowl like game the the West, or what is the Mountain West? Even if we yeah. saw like San Diego State, mm-hmm. would be a great one. San Diego State versus Houston, just thinking, you know, close yeah. to the border type things. Like, I think that would be the way to go. Maybe Houston versus UTEP. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. UTEP, yeah. uh, I guess. Well, yeah, there are a couple of those right there. Yeah, and it would have to be like a kickoff or a bowl game. I think it is weird to do the. Send one comp, yeah, yeah. I think that you know, yeah, they're announcing it next week, and obviously, this is driven by the Big 12, but it could just be that it's primarily Big 12 teams that are a part of it, mm-hmm. and that there's other teams from other conferences also a part of it. Because it seems like with him saying Mexico games, that it's not just going to be one, yeah. I'd assume this probably won't happen for a couple of years just because that's how scheduling works in mm-hmm. college football, especially out of conference. But, um, I don't know, we'll see. I, I think it. it could be very good, and it also could just be like, yeah, you you, you know, a bunch of people went. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> They'll probably send college game day down there. Oh, I don't know if Lee Corso will make it. <laughs> That's fair. But Pat McAfee in Mexico? <laughs> he might get shot. Nah, I think, yeah, I think it'd be like a Burt Crusher than the uh, machine yeah. type thing. <laughs> He'd join the cartel. <laughs> Imagine Pat McAfee just like running across the board with a backpack full of drugs. <laughs> I'm an American! Yeah, I think ESPN would love that. <laughs> when he talks about that at fucking midday. <laughs> that would be funny. Him and AJ Hawk yelling yeah. at each other. Like, yeah. AJ! I can't wait to just be like sitting at the football facility just like watching TV. <laughs> hey, man. What is that? Why is, why is Pat McAfee jumping the border? <laughs> that would bring me so much joy. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's talk about this. I think this is going to be an interesting conversation. Um, who are some dark horses 
to make the final <coughs> four-team college football playoff this year. So, obviously, this is the last year. <coughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is the last year of the four-team college football playoff. And, like, four teams can only make it. So, yeah. this is going to be an interesting one. So, who are some dark horses that you think have the opportunity to make it in? Well, I don't exactly know the odds. and unfortunately don't have them in front of me, but... Yeah. I would imagine I would probably say North Carolina. I think they their schedule is pretty simple. They don't have to play Florida State until the championship if they make it. The only hard team they really have is Clemson. Miami's tossing it toss up. We don't know what they're going to be. NC State's toss up. We don't know what they're going to be. So I think North Carolina has a good shot of making it there. Um, I think they have high odds. I'm not going to say them. Maybe Washington. Yeah, I like that I one. I think as well. Washington has a good shot. I think Utah. Utah. Um, I, I'm trying to think of like a different people. Yeah, because like obviously the teams that certainly just could make it, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, Bama, LSU, LSU. Um, UCLA, I think is pretty high up yeah, there. Clemson, even Clemson, Florida State right now is pretty high. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know what? What's interesting is I brought this one up and intentionally didn't include this on the prep seat so you couldn't see it, but. PFF has it as Oregon State. Really? Yeah. I think DJ Uyangale is going to do something out there. I don't even know if he's going to start. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they just really like what Oregon State's got going on. Fair enough. So I, I don't know. I, I I didn't really think much about Oregon State all year. I just assumed they were going to be. I was, I, I'm kind of high on them. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll wait to say what I think they're. Yeah. Record will be, but I was I'm kind of high on them. I think they might be pretty good this year. They yeah. did pretty good. Finished season well last year. They beat won their, their bowl game against they, Florida. Then they win the Civil War. Uh, yeah, I yeah, think they did. They yeah. won. It's not called the Civil sorry, War. Sorry, they won their <laughs> rivalry. And NCAA 14, it's still the uh, Civil War. All right. Okay, well that's when it counts. We're gonna talk through which teams you would consider, uh, or you know, what would you consider a successful season. For these teams, picked a couple, uh, at least one from every conference. But we'll start with three ACC teams, first being Georgia Tech. Um, what do you think would be a success this season for Georgia Tech? I think a success for Georgia Tech would be a minimum four wins. New coach, new everything, having to basically rebuild. I think a four win would be a success. However, I think they might be able to beat that. Yeah, I think they could too. You know, um, I think Bowling Green and South Carolina State are the locks for a win. Oh, of locks! And then I think they could beat Louisville. I think yeah, I think I they think could that's be, a pretty good win, a pretty solid possible win. I think they could beat Louisville. I think they could beat Syracuse. Yes. So that's four. Virginia. Yeah, they could be. It's at Virginia, so always on the road, so yeah. different. But Virginia hasn't really been worth them. Worth anybody's while recently. True. Uh, I, I think they could also beat Boston College. I agree. Um, At home, you never really know what you get with Boston College. Yeah. Uh, Georgia's a definite loss. Yeah. Uh, I think Clemson will be a definite loss. I think, at, I think at Ole Miss as well. Oh, loss. yeah. I was, I'm working for the bottom up. Uh, at Clemson, home against North Carolina is a definite loss. I think Miami could be a toss-up. Again, yep. it depends on what we get with them. Who knows? Yeah. And... I'm going to lock it as a loss, though, just because Miami has much better talent. Yeah. I would say Ole Miss is a definite loss as well. And I think Wake Forest could be another toss-up. They're not. But then, yeah, they lost their quarterback. Mm-hmm. So. And he's kind of carried the team the past few years. So 
I think a four and eight is their floor. I think their ceiling is seven and five with a miraculous wins. But I think their season will probably be a five and seven. I hope for a six and six they make a bowl game. Yeah, I think that a success for them is five. Mm-hmm. I think that they exceed, you know, they have a very good season, like more than just a success if they make a bowl game. I agree. And that brings me to a team that we're both pretty high on coming yes. into next year, UNC. You know, we just kind of talked about them, but I think that a success is a little different here than what we talked about with Georgia Tech. I agree. They they have a bit of a harder schedule. <laughs> But really, I think, looking at it, their hardest game will probably be South Carolina, followed by Clemson. Um, Clemson might be a little harder because they're at Clemson this year. Then I would have to say, again, I'm going to give Miami the benefit of the doubt. They're a toss-up. I don't know what they're going to be this year. Yeah, They I, could be really good or really bad. Yeah, I think with UNC, in my mind, if they win the season opener against South Carolina, then they're not going to even have the possibility of losing until Clemson. I agree. That's a very fair statement. Because that stretch between very easy, mostly home games, and their away games are at Tech, at Pittsburgh, I mean, that's an easy schedule. They only have yeah four away games all season. Yeah. So you get a lot of home games, which Mm -hmm. is very nice, (laughs) especially in Chapel Hill. And... You get to play App State, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, um, well, I guess App State, Minnesota, Syracuse, Virginia, all at home. Mm-hmm. And then you get to play Campbell at home right before you go to Duke. And obviously, you know, Duke and UNC is a rivalry. But, but in basketball. Yeah, in basketball. <laughs> UNC is going to beat the brakes off of them in football. Oh, yeah. So I think that a success here is 9-3. and three. I think uh, – I think that's almost a failure. Okay. I would have to say... Because I, I think that NC State and Miami could both give them a run. I do too. So if they if they do lose to... Let's say they lose to South Carolina and Clemson. Mm-hmm. If they lose to NC State, that's definitely a failure. Oh, if they lose to NC State, that's a failure. Okay, so yeah. So yeah, I agree. I think 10-2 and two would be a success. I think, yeah. 10-2 making the playoffs is like where they should be this year, honestly. I think, I think I think they should be pushing the play. I think they should it. be could, they should yeah. be a top ten for sure. Easily, maybe like top eight mm-hmm. area. The problem is, is you still have to deal like the, when you think about it. Michigan, yeah. Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, yeah. maybe Tennessee, mm-hmm. maybe Florida State, even maybe Clemson. That's eight teams right there. That is true. That can be up there, and I didn't even say USC. And like, there's plenty of other teams that can be there mm-hmm. if UNC really shows out. Which I kind of question, you know, losing their top two wide receivers. True. Definitely changes some things. But I think that they need to be pushing the top ten for this to be a success. So I agree. I'm not gonna go based off record. I'm gonna say if they make the top ten, it's a success. I that's a yes. If they make the top ten, that's a usually a New Year's Six bowl game. So I think I agree with you. Pushing top ten, successful season, sets them up perfectly for next year, unless Drake May decides to leave. Yes, which I, I doubt he will. But Let's talk about Miami. Yes. The, the final team we're going to talk about in the ACC, they open it up against Miami of Ohio. <laughs> um, but not the easiest route. No. First, I, I don't think it really is, especially from the losses we saw that they fell to last year with yes. Middle Tennessee State. Like, 
it, nothing is an easy win for Miami. And looking at the schedule, you know, the top half, not that bad, other than maybe A&M mm-hmm. could be, you know, dicey. Who really knows who's yeah. going to win that game? But other than that, you face North Carolina and Clemson back-to-back. That is tough. They're losing one of those games. If not both. Yeah. Those are just too hard to have back-to-back. Yeah, and then you have NC State, Florida State back-to-back. Yeah, and then one of those games will be a loss. Yeah, and you're at those are both away, yeah, so which that, is going to be real tough. I could see them potentially beating Clemson because they have it home, but at North Carolina, at NC State, at Florida State, that's tough. Yeah, it's a real bad draw. Yeah. So I think for Miami, uh, a success is... Probably eight and four. I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking a little more, almost a success. What they went five and seven last year. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. They didn't make a bowl game, so I think honestly for them, seven and five making a halfway decent bowl game. It, that's not even. That's not a success. That's like a okay. Yeah, we'll keep him. We'll keep our head coach another year. A success, like you said, I'd say eight and four above. Yeah, because you know I can understand them losing to Florida State, NC State, Clemson, North Carolina. And A&M. Mm-hmm. So I need them to win one of those matchups. Yeah. You win one of those big matchups, and it's it one or two, that's a success of a season. They have a lot to build on. Yeah, there. but if you lose to Bethune-Cookman week three, <laughs> your season's over. I don't yeah. care what games you win. Um, so let's move to the Big Ten with Nebraska. So um, new head coach, uh, Matt Rule. Mm-hmm. This is a big season for Nebraska. They they want to get back to prominence, and I think that having Colorado Week Two is big yeah. for eyes on this program. And so, the the hard part is that you play Michigan early in the season. Yeah, and especially if you lose to Colorado, if you you're gonna lose to Michigan, I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah, they're definitely losing to Michigan. They're, they're losing the uh, the Bussin Bowl, <laughs> but um. I think otherwise, at Illinois might be a little tough on them. Yeah, and and maybe at Michigan State, I have no idea what they're gonna do. Maybe at or maybe against Maryland, home against Maryland. Their their team's yeah. not gonna be anything. They're not gonna be anything crazy, but I think they might be pretty good for yeah. a Big Ten team. So, person, you know, with the recent history of Nebraska, I, I wouldn't typically place high expectations, mm-hmm. but. With bringing in Matt Rule, I kind of put some bigger. Yeah. There, there's bigger shoes to fill there, and I think that they've got to go, got to go eight and four for me to think it's a success. I think for just to make everybody happy, a seven win would be fine. But for a considered to be a success, I agree with you. An eight win, especially wins against Colorado. Yeah, if you beat Colorado, and let's say you beat. I guess Michigan State or Purdue, mm-hmm. then I'll be pretty happy with it. And yeah. if you beat Wisconsin, I'll be very happy. Yes, but you know, I, I think at, you know eight and four makes sense because you give them the leeway to you know maybe lose to Iowa or Wisconsin, and then uh, Michigan, Colorado, possibly, and, and you know the Big Ten is tough. Yeah, especially you know On being a team in the East. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you know the the other side you got to deal with Ohio State and Michigan, but a lot of the East is very even. Yeah. <laughs> so when you go and you get Purdue at home and you go to Illinois, you go to Michigan State, it's not a cakewalk. No. So um, I, I think that we're realistically 
they, you know, when you look at the schedule, you're like, oh, it's Nebraska. They should probably go nine and three in the schedule, mm-hmm. but I still think it'd be a success at eight and four. I agree. I agree. And then let's talk Wisconsin. Um, I think they have. Uh, I don't know if it's really harder or not because instead of playing Michigan like Nebraska does, they play Ohio State. So yeah. there's another loss on the schedule. Mm-hmm. And then outside of them, though. They don't really have to play a, a, a Colorado opponent. Yeah, they play yeah. Washington State, yeah. but I don't think mm-hmm. that's going to be all that much this year. Um, they play Georgia Southern, which... They should last year against Nebraska. Yeah. They can play, and I think Georgia Southern's going to be a good team this year. Probably one of the better top... Uh, sorry, probably one of the top group of five teams this year. Yeah. Returning Clay Helton, got a lot of guys in the portal, changed that team around, and I think if they can fix up that defense and run the ball a little more, they're going to be a heck of a team. Yeah, and I think that, you know, they've drawn up the schedule well because their three out-of-conference opponents are very worthy opponents. Buffalo, a very good MAC team. Mm -hmm. Washington State, a a pretty good Power 5 team. And then Georgia Southern, a very good group of five team. So you have ones that if you do start the season 3-0, it looks pretty damn good. Yeah. The problem is actually starting 3-0 mm-hmm. because those are, like I said, three good teams. And, yeah. you know, beating Washington State is going to be tough at Washington State. You do get Georgia Southern at home, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But we saw what Georgia Southern did to yeah. Nebraska last year, so there's really no telling. But, uh, you know, for me, looking at this schedule, and once again, it, it seems like a, a, a trend with the Big Ten where it's like you look at the schedule and like, oh, you should win like almost all of these mm-hmm. I feel like nine and three is a success because they have a couple of games that yes they might lose but they certainly should win. Yeah, I agree. I I, I was honestly thinking the same thing. Like nine and three should be where they're at. Yeah, because that allows you to lose Ohio State, obviously, and then maybe Purdue on the road, and then you know maybe Nebraska or even Minnesota, like one of those. Yeah. So I, I think it gives them some leeway. Mm-hmm. But they should certainly be pushing it, especially with Luke Fickle as their head coach yeah. now. You best believe I'll be tuning into that Georgia Southern Wisconsin <laughs> game, watching my Eagles whoop up on them. Yeah, it'll be on uh, the Big Ten Network. Well, never September mind. 16th. <laughs> will not be tuning in. Don't have the Big Ten Network. That blows. <laughs> I think you get it on like the streaming services and stuff. <laughs> All right, let's go. Uh, but let's talk TCU. We'll move it to the Big 12. This one's interesting. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you start the season at Col- or um against Colorado. I think it's a neutral site, maybe. I can't. I can't remember if it is or not. But either way, you start the season versus Colorado, mm-hmm. and then yeah, Nichols. Whatever. Nobody cares about Nichols. Fucking state. But um, I I think that just with how much they lost to the draft, mm-hmm. that they're really gonna struggle. And, and I think that. Seven and five is a success. I was literally about to say that. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, because Texas is going to be a game. Baylor is going to be a game. Oklahoma is going to be a game. Kansas yep. State's going to be a game. Texas Tech's going to be a game. Houston even. Yeah, Houston, SMU, they're usually nothing to, you know, look at, you know, to not be prepared for. Yeah. Colorado's got Dion and his transfer, transfer class. That's really good. If he can, you know, get them coached up by week one. Yeah, that's I think seven and five. They're gonna definitely hit that uh, slump of losing all their top players. 
Yeah, and, and I think, you know, even if they do have, you know, early success, if they win, you know, let's say the first five games, which mm-hmm. I don't know if they really will, um, you go to Ohio State, which won't be easy. And then Iowa. Yeah, BYU's or yes, <laughs> Iowa State. Um, but then BYU you could probably beat BYU. You should especially be at home. At TCU you should beat BYU. Yeah. But then that final five in that schedule, you could lose all of them. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, I think seven five is a success. All right. Let's go to the Pac twelve Oregon State, a team that we just talked about being a dark horse with the top top four. Oh, that's actually not They've got a pretty easy schedule to start. Yeah, they they should start off 4-0 going into Utah on a Friday night doing a little high school football. Yeah, luckily, they get Utah at home. So they're not not on the road at Utah, which is big because Mm -hmm. Utah, I think, fourth longest home winning streak in college football, or at least in the Power Five. And that would have been a tough game. Mm -hmm. At home makes it a little bit different. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's tough because I have high expectations for this team. Yeah, because that Utah game could go either way. I'm just going to count as a loss just because Utah's really good. I don't know what Oregon State has yet. They finished the year good last year, but Utah's also a pretty good team, finished really well. So, I think I'm just going to say as a loss, just one potential. Should win at California. Honestly, should beat UCLA because they lost DTR, who's kind of carried that team the last past few years. They're having to re. You know, get a new guy, a young guy. So I'm pretty sure that true freshman is who they are banking yeah. on starting. Yeah. So that should be a wing. It's UCLA. Should be a wing. It's Arizona. I think they should be able to pull against Colorado. I mean, should be a wing. It's Stanford. Yeah. Washington and Oregon in this year though is going to be tough. Yeah, I, I personally looking at this schedule, I think that they should go. I think ten and two is a success. Eleven and one is what I'm eyeing. I think eleven and one is very possible, but I think nine and three is the floor. I yeah. think. I think they got very lucky to avoid USC this year. Yes, that's going to be the biggest thing mm-hmm. that attributes to their success this year is being able to avoid USC until at least the conference championship. Game. Yeah. So, going eleven and one means that you still have to beat you know Utah, Colorado, and Oregon, or you know one of those teams, and, and Washington. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, is that you still have to be all of those and you could lose to Washington mm-hmm. and I think, still get there. Yeah, I agree. A successful season would be 11-1. <clears throat> all right. And then let's go to the SEC. Let's start with Auburn. New head coach in town. Oh, he. <laughs> and it it starts off pretty easy. Yeah. Three very easy wins. And then you go against A&M, who will be coming. Is that before or after Miami plays them? Um, I believe it's after. I think they play Miami week three. So Auburn could potentially go in A&M, beat A&M, depending on how that Miami game goes, because that's going to be a tough game. Definitely a loss to Georgia. Yeah, even even at Jordan-Hare, it's a loss to Georgia. Yeah. At LSU and Death Valley, which will be a night game. That's a loss. Yeah. (laughs) Then you're home for Ole Miss. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. That's a toss-up. Because that Hugh Freeze might want to make a make a point. Yeah. Win against State. Win at Vanderbilt. Win at Arkansas. I'm sorry, I'm not buying an Arkansas this year. I don't care that their quarterback and running back are two of the top returning whatever. I think Arkansas is going six and six. <laughs> That's besides the point. Then New Mexico State and then a loss to Alabama. I think a successful season for them is seven and five. 
Yeah. I think new- I, actually I think successful is eight and four. Because you can lose to Georgia, LSU, and Bama. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you know, if you have to lose to one of Ole Miss, Mississippi State, maybe even Vanderbilt. Yeah. I yeah, eight and four would be successful. Seven and five is what should be expected, I yeah. think. Because new head coach, bunch of players in the portal, bunch of young guys having to get a new quarterback, basically. So they're having to run into a lot of new things. So I think uh, eight and four successful, but I would say if I'm betting right, I'd say seven and five. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the Gators. A like, team I'm actually think will do good this year. I don't. See, you're the opposite because you're a Florida State. <laughs> I think. I just the thing is I don't believe in Graham Mertz. That's the problem. Okay, that I wish I could. I just believe in their head coach. <laughs> okay. I believe in old Billy Napier. All right. At Utah. How much do you believe in them? <laughs> I believe in him enough to go seven and five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I think I Florida think I State's a loss, that. LSU's yeah. a loss, Georgia's a loss, but it will be a, t- a tight game against Georgia. Yeah. I think Utah's a loss at Utah and Tennessee's a loss. I think Utah could go either way because Florida, Florida will play good in the opening yeah. game. They'll be prepared. It's at Utah, though, so it's going to be tough. Ten- Tennessee at home will be a little different because it's at home, but I just think Tennessee's got the better offense. I think at Kentucky they have nothing to worry about. Sorry, Kentucky fans, but I just – Think losing Lavis and a couple of their big time players. Eh. I don't know. I'd like Devin Leary transferring in. I think that's a good transfer in, but just to get used to the offense and everything. True. It's a little different. Um Vander I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I see five losses for sure on this. I could see I can very easily see five. And yeah. I think at South Carolina could also be a hard game. Yeah. Home against Arkansas, they're pretty good there, but I think uh the only the two swing games definitely are Utah and Kentucky. Yeah. Um, but I think Florida State, Georgia, and LSU are definite losses. Tennessee, I think Tennessee and Georgia will be close games. But I I think Tennessee more than Georgia, just because they're home against Tennessee. But yeah, seven and five. I would say seven and five is a success. Okay. Yeah, I think that eight and four is a success because when I look at it, mm-hmm. if you if there's five teams on your schedule that I think you're gonna lose to, you gotta beat one of them. Yeah. And so I think that eight and four makes the most sense because mm-hmm. I think they're for sure losing Georgia, Florida State, Tennessee, and LSU. Yeah. So you've got to beat uh, a Kentucky or a South Carolina or Utah for me to think that you had a successful year. True. Yeah, I agree. That's a good point. All right, and then we'll round it out with Texas A and M. With fucking Jimbo Fisher and Bobby. I see lost to New Mexico. Lost to, <laughs> I think they go in lost 12. Lost to UL Monroe. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, Miami's a toss-up. Yep. I think Auburn could be a toss-up. So they get the weak break between Miami. So I think if they start off 4-0, it's a success. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. That's that's the way I'm seeing the schedule because you're, you're going to lose to Bama, Tennessee, and LSU. For sure. And then you had to go on the road late in the season to Ole Miss. Yep. You have to go, on the like you said, on the road to Tennessee. That's definitely a loss. Yeah. You have a neutral site game against Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And they won last time. I think Arkansas might be able to pull that one off. They're always good at pulling off those crazy upsets. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really think that, yeah, if you start if you start 5-0, and for sure it's a success. Mm-hmm. But... 
if you can beat Miami and Auburn in the first four weeks of the season, uh, I'd I'd be pretty happy to where you're going. But yeah. the problem is you play Bama, Tennessee, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State in uh, the span of five weeks. Yeah, in five weeks you play one of the toughest schedules in the nation. Yeah, I think I have to agree. I think eight and four would be a success. Seven and five is probably seven and five will be where they're at. Okay. Yeah, I think. I think realistically. The, yeah, I think a success is seven and five. I think realistically they go six and six. Yeah, I think six and six is really what's going to happen, and then Jim, that Jimbo buyout is going to become very tempting. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk college baseball super super regionals. They're all set. So we've got Wake Forest versus Alabama in Winston Salem super regional. We've got Texas versus Stanford at the Stanford super regional. Mm-hmm. We've got Kentucky versus LSU at Baton Rouge. Southern Miss versus Tennessee in Ooh. Hattiesburg. South Carolina versus Florida in Gainesville, Duke versus Virginia in Charlottesville, Oral Roberts or Blowjob Bobs versus Oregon in Eugene, and then Indiana State versus TCU in Fort Worth. Let me hear your three favorite matchups. Uh, I'm going to go for all the underdogs here. Okay. I want Indiana State to win, Oral <laughs> Roberts to win, and Southern Miss to win. <laughs> okay. I, I will say that I do like that we're getting two full SEC matchups and an ACC matchup with Duke and Virginia, but then South Carolina versus Florida I think will be really good. Kentucky mm-hmm. versus LSU, I, I got to take LSU personally. I think the F- South Carolina versus Florida will probably be the best game of all these. The best. Three it's game between series. that and Wake versus Bama because Wake obviously the number Wake one is team, really good, and and Bama being Bama this mm-hmm. season has been very good. So I think that's probably my favorite matchup. And like you, I want to see Indiana State beat TCU. Yeah, FTCU, man. Yeah. And F Oregon. Facts. But it would also be funny if TCU could win a College World Series and not an NCAA champion. <laughs> that or, would be uh, funny. Football. So that would be hilarious. But I'd rather them just lose now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think my three favorite here are Wake versus Bama. Southern Miss versus Tennessee and Indiana State versus TCU. I think Southern Miss and Tennessee is going to be really good to watch because Southern Miss and their coach on there, um, uh, Scott Barry, right? Very always has great pitchers. Yeah. And I always like watching them play. So that will be an interesting one. Florida State's – or not Florida State, sorry, Florida. Yeah, don't don't rub it in <laughs> that we lost our streak of like 42 years or whatever. Yeah, imagine. But uh, Florida, you know, just killing, crushing the ball. So that's always going to be fun. A lot of home runs will probably be hit there. Yeah. I think overall this is going to be a pretty good matchup for all these teams. Yeah, I, I really like how the Super Regionals sit right now. Um, yeah, I think that's really it. We did see some interesting outcomes. Uh, uh, Penn got absolutely fucked over. Um, they ended their game to possibly move on uh, with a pitch clock violation. I saw that. Which absolutely sucks. Uh, but let's run through MLB real quick so that we can hit stake your claim and get out of here. So, um, breaking news, Alec Manoa still sucks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) he just continues to suck this year after being, I think the runner up in Cy Young last year in the AL, uh, versus the Astros the other night, he pitched 0.1 innings, seven hits, one walk, six earned runs and zero strikeouts on 38 pitches. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a brutal night for Alec Manoa, just like every other night has been, because his ERA now moves to 6.36 this season. I'm going to move him to low A, dude. Yeah. And uh, another surprising outcome. 
Jacob DeGrom got put on the 60-day IL. Shocking. <laughs> uh, it is retroactive 40 days because that's how long he's been out anyways. Uh, so he'll be eligible to return June 28th, but he just can't stay on the field, and it pisses me off because I want to watch Jacob DeGrom pitch. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all I want to see, especially because yeah. he's not with the Mets anymore. Screw him, man. <laughs> and then Albert Pujols picked up a couple of retirement jobs. Uh, he joined the MLB League office as a special assistant to the commissioner. And he also joined MLB Network as an analyst. So I, I love it. I love Albert Pujols. Um, I've heard him, you know, talk baseball a ton. Yeah. And, you know, he's got a great idea of the MLB. He's, you know, obviously been through so much change in the MLB mm-hmm. that um, I think he'll do a great job as the special assistant to the commissioner as long as Rob Manfred will get it through his thick fucking skull. <laughs> <laughs> but also him being an analyst on MLB Network is going to be great. You know, hearing yes. the insight of a guy that – played at the top of the sport for 20 years yeah. is always going to be great. <clears throat> and then Ronald Acuna set the StatCast record with 10 consecutive 420-plus home runs. That is insane. For, like, every time I watch him hit the ball, <clears throat> he's crushing it. Yeah, and even when like, he's not hitting home runs, it's like 105-mile-per-hour singles. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I was watching uh, just the other day, and he hit, uh, he was like up to bat, first up to bat, like, Hits, I think it was 110 off the bat. It's like, holy crap. Yeah, and on top of the home runs, he's got 26 stolen bases, which is mm. first in the National League, second in the MLB, only behind Asturi Ruiz of the A's, who I think has 29. <laughs> At least they have something going for him. <clears throat> yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I think June 13th they're going to have a protest game where nobody's going to show up, I think. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And um, <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, <clears throat> that one's going to go well. <clears throat> But um, Marcelo Zuna hit a 415-foot single the other night against the Diamondbacks. Um, Straight up center field. Uh, If you've ever watched a a game at the Diamondbacks stadium, they have this weird terrace that comes over center field. So Corbin Carroll was, like, lined up under the terrace, and then it hit the terrace. But Mm -hmm. Marzuna just thought it was a home run. Yeah. And so he just pimped it, jogged to first, and then hit a single 415 feet. I'm actually surprised at Ozuna. He started off horrible. He yeah. had a below one e- uh, batting average. Yeah, and he's now three. up to I think like two three. Yeah, some somewhere around there. He's he's turning it around. I'm happy. It's just building up more value for us to, when he leaves. Exactly. <laughs> and then this one pissed me the fuck off. Jake Cronenworth was running to second base on a force play that. He was very close, like probably would have made it, mm-hmm. but ran into an umpire who was standing directly in front of second base. <laughs> and obviously, Cronenworth got out. Yeah. It, it is so ridiculous. And mm-hmm. it's not the first time this has happened this season. Yeah. Two times across the MLB this has happened this season where an <laughs> umpire was in the way of a base runner. Like, get the fuck out of the way. Like, you know where you're standing yeah. because you're squared up with second base. Yeah. It is so uh, dumb. Uh, it goes every sport when the refs get in the refs or umps get yeah. in the way. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, like, I, I think that, personally, I think the MLB has the worst problem with the umpires making the game about themselves. I agree. Because, yeah. you know, with ejections and arguments mm-hmm. and fucking the pitch clock shit. Oh, my God. And then um, with, with things like this, you know, it was funny because when he called him out, he was, like, looking at him like, oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, dude, uh, what the fuck? My fault, man. Yeah, like you end the inning by tripping over the umpire on a force out. Like, it's Good. ridiculous. Yeah. 
So that's going to bring us to Stake Your Claim. Brock, you had quite the one that you texted me. This is the whole reason we're doing Stake Your Claim this week is because you sent me a fantastic take. So uh, I'm going to give you the floor. And I don't know where, how this came in my mind, but it came to my mind and I just had to say it. For my Stake Your Claim, I'm going to say the my hot take for the final five for the top for the college football playoffs. Two will be from the SEC, LSU and Tennessee. One will they uh they, they play in the regular season, correct? LSU and Tennessee. Do they? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So one's going to have one loss from that and the other one's they're going to meet in the SEC championship they're gonna do, yeah. and they're going to have the so they're both going to be in there. Then two will be from the ACC being Florida State and North Carolina. And then Michigan will be number will be in there as well because they have a cakewalk of schedule. All right. To quote so myself. in case you missed it, he didn't say Alabama or Georgia, Ohio State or USC. Yep. Which honestly could be the top four. Yeah. <laughs> I could be dead wrong. <laughs> you, you definitely could be, but I think those are all teams that could make it and they have a case for it. Yeah. So I I really like that take. Um, my stake or claim has to do with the PGA. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just kind of thought this one up before we started recording. Uh, I think that if the PGA integrates the team aspect of live golf, uh, viewership will drop and the sport will drive itself into the ground. I agree. I, I think that the team thing in the live in live is so fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. I already kind of touched on it earlier that, you know, I think that the way that the PGA tour is set up right now is the best for the viewer I agree. And, and the competition base is much better I, I don't give a fuck about your team yeah <laughs> this isn't nascar like yeah exactly like i'm not rooting for a team in the pga that sounds yeah. ridiculous yeah it's not like i don't know why it's used nascar example but like they have no teams you're right yeah, that work together root for the teams yeah. because they work together but dude i don't give a fuck who you're hitting your practice rounds yeah. with because that's essentially what your team is mm-hmm. i want to see like the two guys that are in the lead teeing off with each other mm-hmm. and just hitting shots Fighting yeah. back against each other. Yeah, like that'd be like that. Yeah, ugh, it's so dumb. Yeah, that the team shit is Voluntary, so dumb. And they're gonna start making a scramble, and then golf's yeah. gonna go down the hell. Yeah, <laughs> the PGA is gonna turn into a a best shot four man <laughs> scramble. And they're all gonna be drunk, and then I'm gonna join. <laughs> that would be kind of fun. <laughs> I would so do that. Yeah, especially like a, a major. Yeah, <laughs> you have like. You'd have like Tiger and Phil on yeah. the team. They're John getting... Daly is drunk yeah. at the Masters, <laughs> doing a four-man scramble with Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> I would actually watch that. Oh, I would. <clears throat> I'll watch anything that's John Daly getting drunk. True. <laughs> I'd literally just go watch it with the Hooters. Yeah, that's true. You could just go to Hooters and see John Daly. You could drunk. go to any Hooters in the United <laughs> States and see a drunk John Daly. <laughs> awkwardly talking to Hooters waitresses. I don't think it's awkward. I think they probably invite him to do that. <laughs> They're like, hey, you get him more. and him and John Gruden. <laughs> <laughs> They've definitely said vile things to a Hooters waitress. <laughs> that would be a that'd be a that'd be a lunch I'd want to sit in on. Well, I don't know. <laughs> It'd make you a fucking witness. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. All right, Brock, I think that's going to do it for us, man. <coughs> as, as always, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah. And um, I might die of the consumption before this gets aired. <laughs> Sounds like it. 
We'll see if I can go in and cut up <laughs> coughs, but I doubt I will be able to. <laughs> oh, God. But, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us. Uh, we'll have Luke on here on Friday, and um, I'll always be here. <laughs> That'll never end. So, it's Brock. Hey, As always, man, it was a pleasure. I will catch you all later. And make sure you're following everything that I tell you on every every, every other episode. Do that. Follow the socials. Follow yeah. the uh, podcast links. Leave a review on all the podcast platforms. Follow the Instagram account because that's where we're most active. You'll see breaking news because I try to get on it as quick as possible. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us. Peace.